a seat and Luke is going to come and bring the Bible reading to us and then Chris will come and share what God has laid on his heart for us this morning. Thank you for those wonderful hymns. Uh, Today's Bible reading will be Matthew verse 28, 16 to 20. Today I will be reading from the Good News Translation. The 11 disciples went to the hill in Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, even though some of them doubted. Jesus drew near and said to them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always till the end of age. Thank you.
I do go way back. Uh, when my kids were at the uh, Newport Baptist playgroup uh, with his kids, and I believe Solari was actually running it at the time as well, yeah. Um, and uh, so um, we've known each other for quite a few years. And thank you for the opportunity to share with you uh, from the Word of God this morning from Matthew 28, as it was uh, read for us by Luke. So before we open Scripture, uh, let me say a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the reminder this morning, that verse spoken over Isabella, that indeed your word is useful for teaching, for reproof, for rebuke and for instruction. And as we hear it today, Lord, would you work those things in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit for the sake of your glory. Amen. Well, I've got a friend, his name is Biagio, and uh, as his name... gives away, he's of Italian descent. And every year, Biagio and his extended family, they get together and they make a massive batch of passata. And so earlier this year, he got together and he told me, I rang him early this week and I said, how do you make it? And he was happy for me to share the recipe with you, the Biagio family recipe for passata. So they get the tomatoes and put them in a big vat, a big vat of boiling water And I don't know how long they boil them for, so I don't know all the details, I'm sorry. And after they've been boiled long enough, they take them out and they put them in a special machine and uh, the skin gets taken off the tomato and the tomato flesh, which is pretty juicy by this point in time, goes out another side of the machine and they put it into cushion covers. And then they squeeze these cushion covers to extract some more water uh, so that it concentrates the tomato juice, the tomato paste, Uh, they then bottle that, uh, put in some fresh basil and salt, I don't know the quantities, I'm sorry, I can find out if you really want to know, Uh, and then they put those bottles, they seal them, and they put those bottles in a vat of boiling water and boil them. And that is how every year Biagio and his family make passata. And this recipe has been the same for generations. I don't know how many generations back they have used this same recipe. Biagio learnt it from his father, who learnt it from Biagio's grandfather, and like I don't know how far back. Passing on a family recipe from father to son to grandson, on and on, is the essence of discipleship. Jesus taught his disciples who taught others, who taught others, who taught others, who taught others. And eventually, someone told someone who told you the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to look at this this idea, the the theme of of discipleship. And we're going to look at it from, from this passage in Matthew 28... And, and glean some gems from what we hear in Matthew 28. And then we're going to look at some very practical ways that we can be making disciples today where we're living. So in Matthew 28, we hear these words where Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. In, in this whole passage that Jesus says, the central command that everything hangs on is make disciples of all nations. And these are Jesus' last words, his last command. After this, there's no more words in Matthew. 
after this. It's his last thing that he says, and we all know that last words are important. And so that means this command to make disciples is very important. So let's have a look at what Jesus says and the the context around these words. So first of all, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, the, the command that we are to make disciples of all nations is prefaced by this statement that Jesus has the authority. And somehow, the fact that Jesus has all the authority in heaven on earth means that we should be making disciples. That's what the therefore is there for. So what is the link? What is the link between the authority of Jesus and the fact that we should be making disciples? Well, if Jesus does have the ultimate authority, if he indeed is King of kings and Lord of lords, there is no one like him, then indeed he should be worshipped and praised. People should follow him. People should be his disciples. And this is indeed what we read in the book of Philippians. Uh, chapter 2, there's this wonderful hymn at the start of, the book of, uh, start of chapter 2 in Philippians. And at verse 9, so I won't read the whole hymn, Exalting Christ, but it says, Therefore God exalted him, that is Jesus, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, i.e., God gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. Why? The text goes on to say, Philippians 2 verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I am the King of kings, I am the Lord of lords, And so all worship and honour and praise should come to me and not to anything or anyone else. So go and tell everyone so that they can live their life in that way. I have all authority. Go and make disciples who acknowledge me as such. And notice the scope where we are to do this. All nations. The hymn that we just read from Philippians Every knee, every tongue it referenced. And, and to be honest, as, as church globally, we're actually not doing so well with the all nations part of this command. Um, my family and I, we lived in Japan for a few years. So after knowing Pete at Newport Baptist, uh, our family, we, we left and we lived in Japan for a few years. And in Japan... Uh, it's estimated that 0.3% of the population is Christian. Uh, That means if you put 300 people together, one of them would be Christian. So there's probably, what, 150 people in church this morning? Is that about right? About 150 seated inside. I don't know how many online, but about 150 here in the hall. So if you were Japan, half of you would be a Christian. That's how few disciples there are in Japan. 
And Japan isn't even the worst. I picked it because I live there. Um, in, in West Asia, there's a country that has 86 million people, three times the population of Australia, rough numbers, and an estimated 8,000 believers. I don't even know how many zeros that is in terms of zero point percentage. 8,000 believers in a country three times the size of Australia. My prayer for you this morning is that there will be people sitting here or listening online who the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to start a process of discernment. Is God moving you to one of these countries to make disciples of all nations in obedience to this command? Make disciples of all nations, Jesus continues, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus here, he gives two specifics about making disciples. One is baptizing and the second is teaching. So we'll look at teaching a bit later on as we uh, think of some practical ways we can be doing that. And baptism, uh, baptism is a mark, a, a time in your life where you say, I'm now turning from the old and I'm turning to the new. I am now making my allegiance to Christ. And so baptism is, is a mark that says, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus and he has my allegiance. And Jesus finishes this, uh, his last words, and his last words of all are perhaps the most wonderful words. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus gives this command, go and make disciples of all nations, and teaches how to do it, baptizing and teaching. And then he says, and while you do that, I'm going to be with you. Just, just think of this for a moment. Jesus has all power and all authority. And he says, while well, you go and fulfill this command, I'm going to be right there helping you. And not only does he have all power and all authority, but he also knows how to make disciples because he is our example, disciple maker. So, so imagine for a moment you had to do an exam. Right? A science exam, let's say. Chemistry. And, and you're sitting there and you're a bit stressed about a chemistry exam that's coming up. And, and your teacher or your lecturer says, don't worry about it, because as you're doing your exam, I'm going to be sitting next to you in the exam room, and if you get stuck on one of your questions, I'll whisper you the answer. Like, that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is the disciple maker, the perfect example who knows how to do it perfectly. And he's saying, as you go out and do this, I'm going to be there with you, helping you as you do it. Like, that just blows me away that Jesus would help us and the enormous comfort that is, 
as I'm making disciples, as you're making disciples, knowing that you're not doing this on your own, but the one who has all authority, the one who knows how to do it perfectly, is right there with you. And so we've briefly looked at this text from Matthew 28. And we've, we've touched a little bit on the topic of what is a disciple, but I just want to pause and just reflect what actually is a disciple. If we are to make a disciple, then we actually have to know what a disciple is. If I say to you, uh, can you please make a lamington, um, you have to know what a lamington is before you can make one, right? So we have to know what a disciple is before we can make one. And put very simply, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is someone who obeys the commands that Jesus gave and lives their life in conformity, being as much like Jesus as they can be. Now, when we say obeying the commands, it's not that being a disciple is a set of rules to follow. No, it's being as much like Jesus. It's being in relationship with Jesus. It's not following a set of rules. It's being in relationship. And so then to make disciples is to train people to teach them what this Jesus is like who he is so that they can be in relationship with him, to teach what he said so that they can obey him, and to teach what he is like so that they can conform their lives, change their lives to be more like him. So being a disciple has these two core elements. The first is to learn. To learn what it is to be like Jesus. What he taught and how I should live my life. And the second is to teach. Having learnt, I now need to teach someone else. And so how can I live as a disciple? Very, very practically. How can I live as a disciple? Well, I want to suggest to you that discipleship starts in the home. Here are some words from Deuteronomy chapter 11. So this is uh, what Moses says to the Israelites as they are preparing to enter into the promised land. And he says to them, uh, chapter 11 verse 18, Fix these words of mine, that's God's words, in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So here in the Old Testament, we see the pattern laid down. Teach your children about me. And that pattern continues right throughout the Bible into today. Discipleship starts in the home. And so what are some things that you can do in your home to be discipling your children or to be to be discipling in your family. So I'm going to suggest three things. This is not a complete list. It's not um, sort of the perfect ones. If you do these, you will be the best disciple. It's just three things that we do in our family that I'm sharing with you today. The first one that we do is we read the Bible every day after a meal together. 
uh, at home, um, we tend to have breakfast and dinner together as family. Uh, lunch, we tend to be out and about doing our things, but breakfast and dinner tends to be all of us having them together. And so at the end of breakfast, at the end of dinner, we'll open the Bible and read a chapter. This is actually something I learned from my parents. They modelled discipleship to me. And if you were to visit my parents today, they live in Perth, it's a bit far to go, you know, for, for, for a lunch. But if you were to go to Perth and, and knock on my parents' door and uh, go to their place for a meal, after the meal, they will get the Bible out and they will read. Just wherever they're up to. If they're up to Ezekiel or Matthew or Exodus, they'll just open at the next chapter where they are and read that chapter. That's the example they gave to me. And that's what I'm now doing in my family. And if you read one chapter after breakfast and one chapter after dinner, you will get through the whole Bible in less than two years. Now, I know some chapters are longer. Uh, we're in Daniel at the moment, and Daniel chapter 4, uh, I think we took three bites at the cherry because it's quite a long chapter. And so in reality, we're probably going to take four years to get through the Bible. But that means, and we started when our oldest was about eight, we moved from the children's Bible to the, one of the NIV versions, the NIV reader's version. That means by the time he's 16, he will have read through the whole Bible twice. That's a good thing, right? We heard before about reading the Bible in a year. I think Melissa was reading the Bible in a year. We all know reading the Bible's good. Well, here's a way you can incorporate it into your family life and get through the whole Bible in about four years with your kids. So by the time they're in their teenage years, they've heard the whole Bible and be prepared for questions. My 10-year-old comes out with the best questions. And it's great to have that opportunity to talk about it with them. The second thing we do in our family, and this is something we've started more recently, is we use something called a catechism. Now, you're probably sitting here going, what on earth is a catechism? I have never heard that word in my life. That's fine. A catechism is basically a manual of Christian doctrine. And it's a series of questions and answers. And um, they're short and designed to be memorised. And as you go through the whole catechism, you will have covered a range of Christian doctrines. And so I've put two up there. The first one is the New City Catechism. Uh, and there's a website there. Uh, that one has 52 questions and answers, and guess how many weeks there are in a year? So you can get through that one in a year. I know you go on holidays and things and you don't take it with you, so you will take a bit more than a year, that's fine. But as you go through those 52 questions and answers, you will cover a whole range of Christian doctrines with your kids. If you've got younger children, and I'm thinking primary school and early high school, the New City Catechism is great. That website, there's an app, you can download the app free, uh, iPhone, Android, um, or you can order some resources uh, from their website. The second one that I've referenced up there, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and yes, there is a longer one as well, uh, but the Shorter Catechism is one if you're a little bit older, uh, so upper high school, young adults would be a great one um, for that age group and, and up. 
Um, it is an older document, so make sure you look for it in modern English. Uh, that website I've got up there is one in modern English that also has some explanatory notes and a whole lot of Bible verses. So if you spend time in it, again, you, you can look up the Bible verses. So that's a second way that you can use, uh, that we uh, disciple in our family. And the third way is send your kids to camps. Pick camps where you know they're going to be discipled, where you know they're going to be taught to read the Bible and how to read the Bible and where they're going to be reading it together. So as family, we go to the Belgrave Heights Convention every year uh, at Easter and at the New Year's one as much as possible. We get great teaching from the speakers there as adults. My oldest is now in youth and he is being taught brilliant stuff in the youth group. And, and my youngest, is in, uh, he's still in the kids group, in the um, primary school group, and they get taught fantastic stuff. So they're being discipled right from a young age. And so my oldest, he's now a teenager, and at the beginning of the year, we said to him, great, you can go to all these camps now. Uh, he didn't go to state youth games. But there's all these camps you can choose from to go to, and uh, we want to pick a few, and we would like you to go to them every year. Because you meet the same people there every year, you start to build relationship with them, and it's something to look forward to. It's like a, a stake in the ground where I know he's going to get great Bible input and be discipled every year at these camps. So pick some camps and send your kids along to them every year. So those are some ways that you can be discipling in the home. Like I said, it's not an exhaustive list. And if we all put our heads together, if in your um, connect groups this week you think about it, no doubt you can think of many, many more ways. But these are some ways that we do it in our family. But discipleship extends beyond the home. It starts in the home, but it extends beyond the home. So imagine the following scenario. A friend of yours, you've been praying for them to come to faith for many years, and they come up to you tomorrow, no, this afternoon, they come up to you this afternoon, and they say, I've made a decision, I'm now a follower of Jesus, I've put my faith in him, I've repented of my sin, I now want to be, I am now a Christian. Like... First, you'd do a little happy dance, right? But after you finish your little happy dance, like, what would you do next? How would you help this person to grow as a mature believer? You want to see them mature, right? How would you help them to grow? And so again, there's many, many things you could do. So I'm going to tell you what I would do. It's not the only answer. It's not... There's many different ways, so please don't hear me say this is the only step you can take with them. It's one step you can take with them. So I would invite them to read the Bible with me. Just the two of us, perhaps maybe up to a group of three. And I would pick perhaps the book of Mark or the book of Luke to go through. And as we go through it, just section by section, and you just if you're using the NIV, you've got the section headings, and so you just stick to those sections... And every section that you go to, I approach with these same questions. First of all, what does this passage teach me about God? Secondly, what does this passage teach me about people? 
And then we go through the acronym SPEC. Uh, what's a sin to avoid? Is there a promise given? Is it an example to follow or, or not follow? Uh, and is there a command to obey? And, and you just go through and spend maybe 20 minutes, maybe half an hour tops, just asking these questions of the passage. And then the next time you meet, you go to the next passage and ask the same questions. As I said, that's not the only thing you can do, not the only way to see them mature in their faith. But it is a good way to see them deepen in their faith. So having, having looked at discipleship and some practical ways we can be doing it, I think one last question we just want to think about is, what's the purpose of discipleship? Why? Yes, Jesus commanded us to do it, that should be enough, but why did he command us to do it? And in order to answer this question, we go to Ephesians sorry, chapter 4, at verse 11. No, I don't have this on a slide, I'm sorry. Ephesians 4, at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. You could summarize and say, Christ himself gave disciple-makers. Why did he gave, give disciple-makers? Well, we read in verse 12, He gave disciple-makers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, Christ gave disciple-makers in order to make disciples who can then become mature disciples so that the church can grow. In other words, making disciples is God's church growth strategy. And that's why it matters so much. So Lachlan uh, is a friend of mine and he grew up in Queensland in a, a rural town west of Brisbane. He never heard about Jesus growing up because no one knew Jesus in his home. But some friends of his at school did, and as a teenager, I think he was 17 at the time, he went along to Teen Street. They invited him along uh, to the Teen Street camp. Uh, you've had it here at your church as well last year, uh, and many of your youth came as well. This one was up in Queensland, and Lachlan went along. And at Teen Street, you heard the Bible, he was taught... And they read the Bible together in small groups. They studied the Bible together. And on the last night of Teen Street, there was an invitation given. If anyone is here who wants to commit their life and become a disciple, become a follower of Jesus, become a Christian, come forward and we can pray for you. And Lachlan came forward and he was prayed for and he became a follower of Jesus. At that point, he was still a very young follower of Jesus in terms of his knowledge. And so in the week after he went home, someone gave him a Bible, a great idea if one of your friends does become a Christian, to give them a Bible. And he slowly read through the Bible. He attended church a little bit on and off. He attended youth group a little bit on and off. But he grew as he was taught and as he learnt. Remember those two aspects of discipleship to learn and to teach others. And the next year he came back to Teen Street 
where again he was discipled. He learnt the Bible. They spent time um, studying it together in small groups. He saw it lived out in, in the community that gathered for that week. And he realised that he needed to answer this question, what can I do to really live my life for Jesus? In other words, how can I really live my life as a disciple? And so he decided uh, to go to South Asia for two weeks uh, on a a short-term mission trip, as we call them. And while he was there, in those two weeks, in the country he went to is a country where there are very, very few Christians. And he saw how broken our world is and how desperately it needs Jesus. In other words, it was a, a maturing, a discipling experience for him because he was learning to see the world the way Jesus sees it. Jesus looks at the world and we read in the Gospels, he sees it with compassion. And Lachlan, through his own experience, was learning to see the world with compassion. And today, Lachlan, his wife and their young son are living in Albania, where they are starting up a teen street in Albania. It's going to be kicking off in two weeks' time, the first ever teen street in Albania. And Lachlan, who himself was discipled through Teen Street, is now starting a Teen Street to disciple Albanian youths so that they in turn can disciple others, so that the church might continue to grow. And so we're all going to take a step and grow as disciples this morning. Uh, There's a QR code that's just popped up here on your screen. And so I invite you to take your phones out. If you're uh, watching online, uh, this should have popped up on your screen as well. So I invite you to take your phones out and scan this code. If uh, you don't want to scan it on your phone, there are paper copies. I think Pastor Pete has a bunch of paper copies, so you can just put your hand up and he'll give you one. And this will take you to a landing page where there are a series of options for you that you can pick from. And I would like you to commit today to one of these options as your next step to grow as a disciple. Now, don't pick one that you're doing already. So if I can just single you out, Melissa. One of the options is read your Bible in a year. You're not allowed to pick that one because you're already doing it. (laughs) Pick one that will challenge you. Pick one that will stretch you, that will make you grow as a disciple of Jesus. So invite one of the musicians to come up uh, just to give us a few moments to look through this list to pick one that you're going to commit to. You can do it anonymously if that's a concern uh, or if you put your name there, Pastor Pete is the one who will find out and that's, that's actually a good idea because then someone can hold you accountable. Someone can phone you up in a few weeks to say, hey, how are you going? Have you started reading the Bible yet? Have you started doing uh, what are the other step, what are the other ones that are up there? Have you started praying for your friend to come to faith? Have you, have you started meeting with someone and reading the book of Mark together? And so we're just going to have a few moments now to uh, fill that out, to make a commitment, and then afterwards Pastor Pete is going to come up and pray over the commitments that we make today. And may God use them for the sake of his glory.